What is going on, everybody? Beautiful Tuesday evening here in April. Uh, April 12th, we are flying through this month. Before you know it, it's going to be June. It's going to be middle of summer, and it's going to be hot temperatures, and we're going to be halfway through the year. I, I can't believe it. NFL drafts right around the corner. Have not recalled a more boring draft. I'm not excited about it at all. It really just goes to show if there's no quarterbacks, nobody gives a shit. All the different scenarios, all the different uh, ideas that we throw around along with reports on quarterbacks, that is what drives the buildup. It's just not there, and that's fine. I got baseball. We're going to talk about the Cardinals, their rotation, uh, the top four in the lineup. Cam Newton, again, with just some demeaning words to women. Have you heard that before? Yeah, you did. It was five years ago. And then we got a bombshell. Also, it's not a bombshell. It's a uh, kind of piecing it all together report on Tom Brady and the Dolphins and his kind of weird retirement, unretirement. Let's get to it. We got NFL. We got Major League Baseball, episode 81 of the podcast. Cam Newton is just a disgrace with some of his lack of awareness, out of touch comments that he puts out in a public forum at the uh, press conference, whether it's with a reporter who covers your team for the newspaper in your city, or even on a podcast where he's yucking it up with his buddies. Hey man, maybe don't say your true thoughts and then put it out to the public. You already got burned once. You already had a bad rep as far as someone who uh, doesn't really always put the team first and someone that isn't always obsessed with winning football games. You're a free agent and then you come out again uh, de- denouncing women and treating them as beneath men. It, it, it's not surprising. Um, I think the real crime, second to what uh, Cam said about women, and you know, women are obviously the biggest victims here, second is those that were prescient with this, those that saw it coming and saw it in real time from the moment he was drafted. I'm talking about the detractors like me. I, I don't th- think he's a, a bad player. I think he's got supreme value. I, I don't think he's a uh, elite quarterback. Never was, even at his peak in 2015. But I always said the guy is not obsessed with winning. He's got this fake-ass smile. And he always puts himself in his fedoras and his outfits and his swag and all this other crap before winning. That's why his teams have never been very good. In 2015, when they went to the Super Bowl and took MVP, that was before the wave of analytics pretty much two years later, that all came to the forefront and the roster stacked. That was pretty much, you know, the end of the winning with defense and winning with an easy schedule. Because since then, I have never seen an easier schedule than what that Carolina Panthers team in 2015 took advantage of. Cam Newton is a fraud. Always has been. Been saying it since senior year of Auburn. And so have other folks. But those guys... Those people, those women, the ones that uh, uh, don't approve of Cam, yeah, we're just uh, chalked up to being ignorant, out-of-touch, old, crotchety uh, folks. It's, it's, it's blasphemy, really. He is giving you evidence of who he is. Believe him. It's just the latest. Been saying it for years, said in 2017 when he said the things to, uh, to Jordan Rodriguez, who's now with The Athletic. I mean... What else more do you need, Cam fans? The guy's a loser. So definitely want to hit on the lackluster starting pitching through three games so far 
for the St. Louis Cardinals. They got the Royals tonight, and they should be able to uh, they should be able to take care of the lineup. They are not a shoe-in to handle them completely. The Royals are much improved. They got four different shortstops. Um, they have some good pieces. I still like Benintendi. He's not the guy that I think he was early on in his career. Looks to be a little bit of a mirage. But overall, I think they got a solid lineup. But the Cardinals certainly are capable of taking care of them. And they were with the Pirates, but they did not. And that's why I bring it up. Because last year... Too late for reinforcements. You know, the the front office seems to think there's some uh, rule against trading before the trade deadline, before the uh, coming days of July 31st. There is no rule. See the Brewers, Milwaukee, David Stearns. They always seem to take care of business when they need to. As soon as they see a weakness and they realize it's not going to get any better, they take care of business. They got Trevor Richards, Jury University. Right over there in Illinois, New Baden, Illinois. They took care of business last year and got him a few years ago. Then they went and got Willie Adames last year. Took care of business. It's a lacking area for the Cardinals. And look, one start is one start. Steven Matz got shelled. Miles Michaelis did not last long. But you knew they weren't really guys you could count on as far as deep innings this year. And you got several arms. I think Jake Woodford should be in the starting rotation. I know he's a weapon out of the bullpen, but you need starts. Last year, it was Adam Wainwright and then, you know, who knows what. Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy. I know he likes to tweet a big game. He likes to talk a big game. Likes to talk about things other than pitching. He needs to get fucking healthy. And then maybe he can start talking about the ancillary stuff. The stuff that is off the field. Right now, he can't ever stay healthy and make his starts. So the whole ace talk, yeah, that's dead. The other guys, I mean, you kind of knew what you were getting out of them. Dak Hudson is back. We'll see what he's got tonight against KC. But the starting pitching, kind of picking off or uh, picking up where it left off. One start is one start. I know we got 30 of these if you're in the rotation for the full season. But let's not pretend like if we see more of the same we didn't see coming. Uh, The only guy that seems to think differently is John Mazalak. You know, there's one, I'm not going to say stat, it's really just four players, one lineup that you got to look at to make yourself feel very good about the 2022 Cardinals. It's lineup spots one through four, Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you got Tyler O'Neill along with uh, Nolan Arnato. I know the order sometimes flips, you got Arnato. he's been bad third, um, and O'Neal, he'll likely bat there some as well. Whoever's kind of got the hot hand as far as producing and um, in the high leverage spots. And of course, a guy that can go deep um, and really get you on, on the board in the three spots. So some combination of those, you, you know, Carlson, Paulie Goldschmidt, they're going to be one, two, most likely for the full season. Can you really name a lineup in the NL Central that rivals the, the Cardinals? I, I can't. Obviously, the Cubs, no. Pirates, no. Reds, yeah, maybe. Like They got some hitters. I know that the Brewers made the playoffs last season, but Christian Yelich clearly is a guy that has struggled. Uh, when the new baseballs came out, the whole him having this level swing and you know not elevating the baseball really hasn't worked out well for him. They're, they're just not the same lineup in Lorenzo Cain has significantly uh, tailed off there in the final year of his contract. So, I mean, Adames is great, but the Brewers, their lineup, I I really would think the Reds, who obviously have a disaster of a pitching staff, they're not going to be able to 
to compete with the Cardinals. I mean, this is going to be hopefully a race for the Cardinals that, you know, if you get out to a, a early big division lead, and again, we're three games through the season here, a lot can happen. Get your starting pitching healthy, keep it healthy rather. And if you can build a lead, you can really play from ahead this entire regular season and set up your squad to compete with the rest of the NL teams in the playoffs. And what I mean is that you won't have to worry about the division. You'll say, hey, okay, we got a great team here. How do we really supplement it so then it's competing with the Dodgers and the Braves and potentially the Mets, who I think are going to be there at the end along with the Giants? You know, do we go out and get that shortstop that adds to the lineup and obviously hopefully provides defense? And do we ditch DeYoung or keep him on the roster for late any defensive replacement? purposes and of course obviously you're always going to be looking at the rotation it's going to allow you these top four players to build and pad a division lead that hopefully is out of reach come June and something that that the Cardinals lineup can continue to build on I think there's a real good chance that that can happen or at least they're set up from a really good spot and you know the lineup off to a hot start Nolan Arenado playing like a guy that wants an MVP and I I really have turned to the optimistic side with this Cardinals team. I, I, I think they can win the Central, and I think they could potentially win it pretty easily. I watched that Phillies-Mets game yesterday, and I know we got them on MLB Network this evening along with Royals cards over there on Bally Sports Midwest. I'll be doing dual monitors here this evening. Definitely want to check out uh, another Heavy NL East showdown. I think both these teams will make the playoffs. So far, we got some injuries piling up for the Metropolitans. Not good. I think they weathered the storm. They got deep pockets. They got a fairly deep roster. But I want to talk about the Phillies because it was 2014 with that big bashing lineup with great starting pitching. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, David Price, that... You know, those Detroit Tigers with Dave Dombrowski as the general manager, they were awful at defense, just like these 2022 Phillies, but their lineup, mammoth, just deep up and down. And if the Phillies can stay healthy, you know, keep Schwarber, keep Castellanos, Harper, Ramulto, even Didi Gregorius, who I still think has some stuff left in the tank, and I think he provides a lot of value in being in the lineup every day and hitting and slotting in. At different parts of the lineup, no situational hitting. These Phillies, they, they can definitely make the wild card, and I have them making the wild card. I think Dombrowski, you know, he's underrated in the sense that, yeah, he opens up the wallet and pays guys. He also knows how to strike deals. Not everybody can just open up the wallet and get a deal done. It's not that simple. You do have to know who to pay. Who do you open up the wallet for? And then when you trade away the prospects, as he often does when, you know, he wheels and deals on the trade market. You got to know how to replenish that depth. And he knows how to build a farm system. The Tigers, they were shit when he took over in like 2002, I think it was. Then he built them up in 2006, went to uh, the World Series, won the AL pennant again in 2012. He knows how to build teams. He knows how to build a scouting system. So I think the Phillies, they're going to improve in that regard. And even if they do need to trade, uh, trade some of these guys, like the uh, guy that they just brought up, uh, uh, Bryson Stott, Obviously got Alec Baum. I think he's going to be able to, you know, find better players because that's what he's always done. I think he's uh, a great general manager. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think these Phillies, they're going to be the latest team to that. You know, it's going to be bad defensively. That's going to go on and make the playoffs. <laughs> 
I am typically pro-owner when it comes to them speaking their mind and not holding back as far as what their real thoughts and intentions are. Like, I know the media loves when coaches, in particularly players, are honest and give you the raw emotion, whether it's on the field or at the podium. They're always stressing that they need to uh, get the quotes more than anything. Uh, But they also just love the content that it provides them because those are their sources. I usually, you know, I'm the other way. I think you fall in line. You're working for billion-dollar corporation. Uh, That is the NFL and obviously millionaires. Eh, Most teams are probably worth billions of dollars now. I know the Panthers, uh, David Tepper, one of the you know least valuable franchises. He paid billions of dollars in cash. So all teams are worth billions of dollars at this point. Typically, you know the other way that you know you just need to shut up, do your job, play receiver. Uh, if you're an offensive coordinator, just call the plays, and if you're the head coach, just just coach the team. Obviously, they get a little bit more leeway than uh, than the former there. But the owner, like I love that Jerry Jones talks after games. That's cool. I think it makes. Um, the, the NFL a lot more and, uh, entertaining because of that. When you have the owner speaking out and he's speaking on the product on the field, that's good. Like Steven Bashotti a couple weeks ago after the Deshaun Watson trade, he talked about how that would influence their decision-making with the contract with Lamar Jackson. It was great content on the baseball side of things. Steve Cohen. Well, today he's not the owner, but he is the president because he's the son of the owner. His name is... Uh, Castellini, I don't even know, I don't know his name. I know Bob Castellini is the owner of the Cincinnati Reds. And his son went on radio in Cincinnati earlier and was mocking the fan base. Um, As far as them and why they have not put money into the product on the field, and in particular, why they've traded away players like Nick Castellanos, uh, as well as Jay Bruce. And they didn't trade uh, Brandon Phillips. Uh, but they also got rid of Wade Miley and Jesse Winker. And the fans are obviously outraged because they think it's a pretty good product that they had, at least you know a lot of pieces that would give them a good shot at contending in the NL Central. This guy went on to pretty much mock them, saying that the only way for them to contend would be to relocate based off the market size and how the regulations work with Major League Baseball, which is a complete fucking joke. The Reds, they really took a fluky approach to their team-building philosophy. They added in free agency a couple years ago. They got Moustakis and Castellini. Uh, They obviously got Sonny Gray and traded for him. They gave up way too much for Sonny Gray, though, and they overpaid Mike Moustakis way too much. They exercise what is just bad judgment and it's what the media often claps for and that's spending money and trading away pieces and competing and just making moves for a lot of big name guys but really those guys aren't as big as what their name actually says yeah they've had good seasons they've had good stretches Sonny Gray Mike Moustakis when they were on the A's and when they were on the Royals they were good players for a period of time but then when it comes to paying them top dollar on the market, again, trade or free agency, they're not worth that. And that's what the Reds did. So they had a fluky approach from the beginning. So for the owner to come out and say, it's just not possible. No, you just kind of took a dumb fucking approach to building your team. And you tried to shortcut the whole thing. And a division that has a really smart GM, 
very analytically driven in the Milwaukee Brewers. You have Hall of Fame general managers until he left and went out the door in Theo Epstein. And he obviously has Jed Hoyer. And you got John Mazalock, who, you know, has the most accomplishments out of anybody in that division. And Ben Charrington, the guy of the Pirates, he's got a World Series ring. So you guys tried to kind of act like you were contending a couple of years ago when you went bananas in 2019, right before the shutdown in free agency. But really, you just took a dumb approach. So this guy, Phil, I guess his name is, you know, he's over here mocking Cincinnati where baseball basically started one of the first teams ever before it was even called Major League Baseball. Back when it was like Abner Doubleday, you had the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And it's a loyal fan base. Um, they've, they've had a lot of proud figures walk through there, whether it's Ken Griffey Jr., who grew up there because of his dad playing for the Reds, Johnny Bench, obviously Pete Rose, I think he's a disgrace, but obviously a heck of a ball player, hits leader all time. So, you know, I, I, I'm with the fans totally on this one. This is just pitiful. It's pathetic. It's low. And I like owners speaking out, but this, this was just disgusting. What I will end with is maybe the hottest topic to ever close out the podcast, and it's happening in real time. A report from Ben Volin, or Ben Volin, Uh, he's great over there at the Boston Globe, and obviously has his connections with Brady from his time in New England. A pretty, I'm not going to call it a bombshell, it's just really connecting all the dots together over the last two plus months with Brady retiring, unretiring. Um, coming back to the Buccaneers and Arians stepping down. It all started with the report from his old teammate. I, I don't know how to say his name. It's like Orenberger, who knows Tom, playing with him in the Patriots, and then A.Q. Shipley is on the staff with the Dolphins and also played with this Orenberger guy. He was the one who came out with the red pen comments. Brady felt undermined when Arians would come in and adjust the game plan after Brady and left, which would do it. And then Brady retires February 1st, and he never used the word retire, and it was deliberate. I know that was always something that I kind of noticed. He, you know, he didn't use that word. It kind of seemed like a snap decision after the loss to the Rams. Well, that's when the plan was put into place with Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins. He was talking about really sticking it to the Patriots, having Tom come over as an executive, a minor, minority owner, so he can really pave the way to play quarterback for them. Because, obviously, Ross is a Michigan man. Bruce Beal is a minority owner of the Dolphins, and he is also a buddy of Tom Brady's. The two have, I guess, gone to the Kentucky Derby together. They, the plan was that the Buccaneers would find their quarterback and obviously Arians would plan his offseason around that. Once Brady would become an executive of the Dolphins, the approach was the Dolphins would then approach Tampa Bay about a trade, knowing that they cannot keep Brady on the roster um, and they've already you know paid other players, so they would almost be forced to trade him. Otherwise, it would become a distraction. Well, Sean Payton also resigned by this point in time made it clear that he wants to coach again behind the scenes Ross Payton who shares an agent with Tom Brady are talking about him being the head coach him being the quarterback slash minority owner well then Brian Flores files his lawsuit on February 1st I think it became public the next day that he's suing the Dolphins along with the rest of the NFL so it was too much drama 
Uh, it would have been a real bad look if they circumvented the Rooney rule process, uh, hired a white coach, hired a white owner and Brady. So they had to call it off. And then Brady went to the Man U game where the Glazers, the owners of the Buccaneers, own that team. They hashed out him coming back, and now he's a Buccaneer. And then, of course, um, since then, Arians has uh, moved into a front office role, and Todd Bolts will be the head coach. So, not really a bombshell. It makes a lot of sense. I will say the part that I don't really find believable is the fact that Brady would want to be an owner. I don't think that's in his long-term plans. I see it as more of just a bargaining chip so he can get in the Miami door and then also play quarterback after he pretty much you know, forces the hand of Tampa Bay. It's really what Gronkowski did. Uh, Gronkowski got traded from the Patriots to Tampa for, I, I think it was a fourth-round pick. I mean, Gronk's worth more than a fourth-round pick. But essentially, he was going to unretire and play only for the Buccaneers, or otherwise, he wasn't playing for anybody. So, New England pretty much said, we, we have to trade him there. Otherwise, we're just going to have this guy who wants to come back and play. Um, and maybe, you know, he then just becomes a distraction to our program. So, Brady saw it as such, I guess. Um, you know, Ben Volen, I, I like to think the guy's definitely connected. Um, not really something that's hard to believe. I, I never really thought the marriage between uh, Arians and Brady was never a fit. I said it at the beginning. I remember laughing right before, because uh, I was in my office in Chicago uh, for the day job, and I remember laughing at the report from uh, Ben Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times saying that uh, Tampa Bay Bucks were all in on Brady. I thought, he's never going to fucking go there. Never. It's not, I mean, no risk it, no biscuit, or no risk it, no biscuit, whatever the saying is. That's not Brady. He's calculated. He's efficient passing. Well, he ended up going there. It worked out. They won the Super Bowl, but obviously it wasn't really something that was built to last forever, and you always knew Arians was always kind of having one foot out the door, or at least, or at least was on the final leg of his career. Uh, and now here we are. So maybe it was Brady trying to behind the scenes, put this all into action. I'm happy Tom Brady is playing quarterback again in the NFL bottom line. I think everybody should, because we're witnessing much like Tiger Woods in the masters. Brady's obviously peaking still at, at a longer length than Tiger Woods. We're, we're never going to witness this again. There will never be as discipline an athlete mentally he's the most mentally tough athlete ever he grew up in an era where you didn't have all this noise you didn't have all this content you didn't have all this reporting where there was a, a lot of subterfuge and all this he, he didn't grow up in that era so I don't think anybody's going to have the mental capacity to do what he's doing he's going to start a game at age 45 and I cannot wait Thanks so much for smashing the play button. I need you to tell your friends about it. Obviously, Easter weekend, maybe you're headed back home. You can fire up this podcast. Maybe tell your friends when you're gassing up at the quick and go that you should listen to the podcast as well on your way home or on the way back because all of this is still going to be hot topics that you need to hear and you're going to get the perspective that you need that you're not going to get anywhere else. So subscribe, review, tell me what you like, what you don't like. I want the critical feedback. And yeah, well, we'll see you guys here after another full week of baseball. I'm so happy it's back. I'm going to watch the Reds 
or excuse me, the uh, the Cardinals and the Royals, and I'm going to watch the Phillies and the Mets. A couple of showcase games here tonight on Tuesday. But let me know what you think, 816-226-7483. That's the call or text line. We'll read it right here on the show. And we got the email, the podcast, spelled my way, the podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see y'all next week.